It is a beautiful Monday morning. That's not a good start, is it, George? No, no. Let's say it like this. Try and apply that theory to any other industry in the world. It's a scam. I was betting like 70, 80k. This is the Trademate Sports Betting Podcast, helping you beat the bookmakers. Hi guys, Alex here. Welcome to episode 149 of the Trademate Sports Betting Podcast. Today I'm joined by Pro Sports Better, also known as uh, MLBKS Psychic on Twitter, but you can also call him Porter. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Hey, Alex. Great uh, having me on. Yeah, mate. Pleasure having you on. I've uh, heard you on a couple of other podcasts and I, I really enjoyed what you had to say on those podcasts. Always, uh, It was a super, yeah, really interesting listen for myself. So I thought it would be a no-brainer to get you on uh, on our podcast over here but for those who haven't heard of you before uh, or just need a little recap do you want to just give us a yeah introduction to yourself uh, how you got involved in sports betting um, and you also mentioned to me that uh, I guess Trademate Sports helped you out a little bit in in getting your journey started so it'd be inter- interesting to hear about that also yeah definitely so I think my story is how most guys kind of probably get into this field. My background was in math and economics. I was a professional poker player. Uh, I worked a little bit abroad as an economist. Um, Wasn't too satisfied with that life there. Um, Came back to the States and I started playing uh, DFS and uh, daily fantasy sports and a little bit of poker again. And then I had um, two friends sort of introduce me to sports betting. Uh, one of them was a poker buddy. One of them was a DFS guy. And the first guy kind of told me, hey, check out this side, trade mates. And I was like, okay, what's this about? And I sort of went through, you know, how this is, I think you guys changed the sites. This is six, five, six years ago. But, you know, back then it was something equivalent of kind of showing you, basically it was really about CLV, you know, closing line value. And it would show you, you know, where the line was different than where uh, other sharp sites thought it should be. And really, you could kind of go chasing around and, um, you know, capture CLV, I guess. And I did that for a little bit. I did a little bit of kind of slightly kind of trying it on my own, like kind of converting DFS stats. And then I read an art, another article on SBR forums about um, CLV again, but uh, that guy's name is pretty famous out there. His name is Poker Joe. And that, it kind of clicked at that point. Um, I kind of wanted to do things different and on my own. So after I kind of really understood that article, your guy's software, kind of modeling, I kind of totally disappeared from even knowing gambling Twitter or anything like that existed and just really sort of did things on my own. It wasn't really until COVID came around that uh, I kind of found gambling Twitter again and uh, some Slack discords that talked about sports, but there was a good solid three years where I just kind of was totally off the radar doing my own thing, but in sports betting. Yeah, I, I, I'm not here to plug TradeMate at all, but the good thing is if you use the software or even if you yeah do a trial or whatever, it's kind of a, it almost forces you to learn, you know, because it's not like any other uh, form of getting picks or anything like that. Like normally if you're getting 
yeah, tips or picks, whatever you want to call it. You're, you're getting sent it at a certain time every week, et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas it works in real time. And I guess you learn, you know, that you learn about CLV. It's like in the software that you learn, you know, how big your closing edge ended up by the time the, the game started and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I, having having used it myself and and when i first started using it it was a yeah it's pretty pretty easy way to like force yourself to to learn it because if if you're getting if you're getting picks from a you know tipster um what do you got you guys have a different name for tipsters over in the um touts yeah um yeah you, you don't really use much brain power at all it's very much just like oh it seems like you're only getting on because you think that this guy likes this team because he thinks they're good and you, <laughs> you know what I mean? So <clears throat> the trade mates just all about the numbers. So it kind of forces you to learn a bit more. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say over the ages I've slightly evolved, especially because I kind of focus on smaller markets. So I think out there, most people would say that I'm not a CLV truther, but <laughs> I think the base of understanding uh, sports betting that's like where you should start. Yeah. hundred percent. <laughs> yeah. You need to, you need to understand that it's about odds and probabilities rather than or about numbers. It's, it's got nothing to do with uh, yeah. Or I mean it can, but you know, it's, it's not much to do with who you think's going to win and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, you become a pro sports better though. And you talked about you were, would you say you're a professional for three years before you, I guess, started meeting people on Twitter and stuff like that? Yeah, so how I originally started was I would just kind of grind all day. I'd get, you know, some accounts from friends, some connects, some more accounts, and I just kind of sat alone and all day grinded away. And as the business kind of got bigger, I realized, hey, actually, this is more like a startup. This isn't just sports betting. It's not... Okay, so... (laughs) It's important to win. Obviously, you need to win to, to turn a profit. But I think today um, there's this really overemphasis on trying to win versus what to do once you're a winner. It's kind of like this dead end path. And I would say that most winners today, they're more math, engineering, econ, computer side focused people. And you kind of need some other skills in this industry to really scale. Um, and that, that really involves sort of networking and building out your operation. And today I just, I just find there's all this, you know, picks win, kind of, you know, get CLV and there's just nothing anywhere discussed. And, and probably because the people who kind of know don't really want to say too much, but there's just absolutely nothing discussed about the actual sports betting as a like business and not just clicking buttons and trying to find winners. And a lot of the industry, even the companies that are teaching you good stuff, you know, how to win, how to try to win. It's kind of a dead end profession. If you, if you're just, you know, one side skilled at the numbers and modeling and just have zero understanding of the business entrepreneurial component of the industry. Yeah, well, it's not as it's not as a sexy topic, is it, mate? <laughs> no, it's not. People just want winners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but um, no, you make you make a tremendous point that um, I, I I would guess the reason we don't hear too much about the business side is because 
everyone's kind of fighting each other for accounts, uh, I guess, trying Enemies. to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, people aren't really going to give away their tricks of the trade as to... That's like almost, you know, the most important part for... For, for syndicates and, and bigger bigger enterprises that or you know just better sports betters that's their that's your, their biggest problem getting accounts so what is for those who don't know what is your approach to sports betting at the moment i know you're very heavily focused on props so maybe you want to go into yeah why you why you chose to 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 bet props uh as opposed yeah, to so these the, bigger markets yeah so it's a double-edged sword so obviously the smaller the market it's it's just obvious anything in life if there's less people doing it you're just going to have a bigger edge so the moment you notice that the big groups are sort of what's the term poo-pooing on uh you know down down looking down on guys betting props i sort of realized that there was a niche completely missing for someone trying to get bigger because What's the logic between running and giving me accounts for a major market when there's a lot of other established guys betting? It's even though we're talking about like three, four percent ROI, what can I do to sort of stand out when okay, so for an audience member to to kind of visualize this, two, three, four percent, it's more like two percent ROI, the swings are massive. It's hard for a casual that's giving counts to really comprehend what it even means. I mean, card counters can can really put it together because they go through major swings, you know, in blackjack, for example, but in sports betting, it's just, it's really hard for the casual to understand. Yeah, I'm winning, but it's a 2% ROI. So the way to really stick out, I figured was find these markets that have a much larger ROI, eight, nine, 10, 11%, you know, and that makes partnerships a lot easier where you're kind of taking smaller guys that, you know, they're not looking to have big swings. And I just try to fill a niche that I felt no one was really doing on a large scale. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of people betting props, but I don't feel like on a, like it's kind of laughed upon that you could do this on like a large hundreds of account scale, but that's true. It's if no one's trying to do it, then, you know, no one's doing it. And then someone fills in the gap, someone's doing it. So I just thought it'd be impossible to fill in the gap. And personally, I just, love the swings i'd rather work harder on finding accounts and networking than banging my head against the wall at two three percent roi yeah so so were you always betting props or was there a um yeah i guess an evolution in your betting where you figured out that props were the most uh, logical way so props were a natural yeah props were a natural progression from dfs but the truth is i did look at straights and because i didn't know people on gambling twitter I didn't really understand the two, 3%. This was in the early days. I still didn't have a good grasp because today you can kind of see how much movement there is. You can approximate what your ROI was, but I was a lot less developed back then. I just did bet straights and, you know, it was actually winning. And I was just like, wow, this is crazy. The swings. And then I kind of did the math. I'm like, wow, back then I thought, how big do I have to actually bet to turn a profit at two, 3%. And then I just kind of quickly shifted away from that. And, I always just kind of just became known as a specialist for props. And that kind of just served me well when 2% swings mean large, sorry, 2% ROI means large swings. So when these big groups were going through their, you know, downswings, people were kind of coming to me to 
hey, help me out here, even though those groups are doing perfectly fine. It's totally expected. Mm. So I just thought it was a great niche to gather, you know, accounts, basically liquidity to be able to bet more. Yeah. Did you ever try and gather accounts or get accounts from people when you were betting bigger markets? And because I'd like to hear the um, the comparison between, I guess, the relationship you have with the the guys you get accounts from now, as opposed to when you're having bigger markets. Because as you said, there's a lot more variance when, you know, the ROI is a lot smaller. So I'd love to hear like if there was a bit more, uh, I guess, friction between account holders and yourself back then. Actually, I love that question. So no, I actually never try to gather accounts for big markets. I was always obsessed that the partnership went as smoothly as humanly possible for the partner. I was just obsessed that they wouldn't go through swings. They And, you know, they still do experience swings, but try and keep those swings as small as possible and the opposite. So today I do work with other groups. I do do other stuff. It's not just all props. I slowly evolved out of that even though it's still majority props. And today I kind of nurtured and grew those early partnerships and now new partnerships, but those early partnerships from guys, it's a lot of college kids that might not have large bankrolls, younger guys that maybe other groups didn't want, but I sort of nurture the relationship that today they can slowly handle the swings of larger markets. Still not the biggest markets, but bigger markets than props. Yeah. So generally you would think for, for guys that are, gathering accounts and doing bigger markets, they're probably able to get at, you know, tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands down on these, these bigger markets, you would assume, depending on the league, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for yourself, like, you don't have to, if you don't want to answer the question, it's fine, but how much like generally are you able to get on, on props, you know, assuming it's a, you know, <clears throat> a normal 50, 50 line, uh, over under on on whatever baseball or ice hockey I'm not sure exactly what sports you're betting but is there like a general maybe on maybe the best examples on like a, a big league MLB something like that I see you posting up a lot of MLB stuff hence the hence the Twitter name probably but um yeah, yeah can you give us a general idea of like actually how much you're able to get I mean obviously it depends on how many accounts you have etc but maybe a general yeah. idea so the major markets still play the same way. It's easier to get that, that screen name just happens to be that because that's the first sport I started, but I, I do all the major markets, NFL, NBA, MLB, um, NFL, you're able to get down the most just because it's a bigger market. MLB is probably the least, but there's a split. So how I, I look at things is there's the legal markets, you know, like DraftKings, FanDuel, all of those sites. And between all those sites on any one play, during NFL, it's anywhere between like a thousand and small five figures. And then PPH, um, baseball's again, probably the least, but you can get small five figures down on, on most of these props. Now, and I don't forget a lot of these are, you know, you're splitting with the, you know, the account holder, the percentages, but you can get down small five figures on these player props. Again, that, yeah. that has more to do with the like entrepreneurial work on account side and I think I just sort of niched my way into like the props guy. So if you were a guy that did 10 different markets, you, you probably wouldn't be able to do that. Even if you were a larger syndicate, you know, not even necessarily sharp, but like the guy running the, the syndicate. Yeah. And, and when you get new accounts, are you doing any kind of priming or, you know, making it 
look like you're a you know, a bad sports better accumulators uh yeah i mean there's all sorts of things you can do to try and make yourself look like a square better so on legals at least in the united states i tried everything you could think of now by priming what, what, and covering what you really mean is putting and losing bets so i hope the audience understands that priming means losing um because at the end of the day Oh, anyway, so at the end of the day on the legals, no technique, round robining garbage, you, you name it, it just it just doesn't work, or it hasn't worked for me. There are some sites that have been more generous than others. Um, Caesars gives an okay leash, FanDuel a little bit, but overall, this is a gathering new accounts uh, <laughs> journey. That's really what, unfortunately, sports betting has become. And I'm just not a huge fan of doing any of this cover stuff. I'd rather work harder on trying to find more stuff. I mean, think about it like this. How can you really manage, let's say, 100 plus accounts on the uh, PPH side um, and pick specific accounts to put cover to, to, you know, to try and manipulate the book into thinking you're a loser? A wise guy once told me you sort of each book has sort of their limit. I'm not talking about legals, but each book that's taking your bets, you know, the guys kind of decided beforehand, it's going to let you win somewhere, you know, 5k, 10k, 20k, they sort of have their like bankroll of what they're willing to swallow. And no matter how you cover it up, if, even if you win, just depends on the guy, not a big, big book, but like a small guy, even if you beat him on NFL straight Sunday morning, he's going to be really, really ups, you know, upset and eventually cut you off. So I'm not a huge fan of trying to sort of convince the book that you're a loser just because in my personal experience over the years, and don't get me wrong, other people say differently, but my personal experience through hundreds, if not thousands of accounts, I have not seen success doing that. Yeah. I, yeah, I would, uh, I would concur with, I would, the best accounts or the ones that have lasted the longest are the ones that I've probably lost for a month or so on. Uh, so they think you're not very good, but then eventually when you start winning and, you know, they'll maybe the leash will be a bit longer because you lost to start with. But generally, even if you prime lose for, you know, maybe one week or something like that, and then you start winning, I just, yeah, it's it hasn't made much of a difference for myself too. So Right. So I always pose the question to the person, would you rather win? And these are just random numbers. Would you rather win 8K in a month or 10K in three months? you know, probably the first one and then get on your way to try and find more, you know, unless you're kind of a guy who's like, I'm gonna do one account and retire. I don't know how many people say that, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. I agree. Um, so your, your actual prop betting itself, are you, do you have models or are you kind of just doing game analysis and coming up with numbers in your head? How do you, how do you go ahead with the actual no, so betting side? Right. So the base is still models. And then, so I used to be just a straight math guy, but as time has evolved, I'm sort of willing to let the, I guess what people call anecdotal somewhat. And again, this is a small percentage. This still at the end of the day is about models. And a lot of people, you know, honestly, I would say for the general population, if they're actually going to spend time behind the computer, their focus should probably just be figure out how to be quick with the news because are you really going to outmodel someone with like an engineering math background? Are you, it's even if you get good, what's your next step on like, you know, networking. So don't get me wrong at the end of the day, you know, math is King. So no matter how much this, you know, 
conversation talks about all the other components of the business, th- this is still a math game. And how's that evolved over the last couple of years? Have you, has it become more competitive? Have the lines become sharper at all? Or do you think, I mean, have there been more, I guess, in this, in this scenario, like most of the time your competitors are other sports betters. So is it, um, have you noticed that there are more sharper guys around and you're not able to pick up on better numbers or the numbers have gotten worse? Yeah, so absolutely, actually. So six years ago, honestly, you could just click a bunch of unders right before the game time and things were probably going to work out. To be fair, a lot of sharps sharps are still trying this today, have 90% of their plays as unders, and they're just making a mistake. The market has completely evolved. It's much more closer, at least on American sports, it's much more closer to something like 40-60, 40, 40% over, 60% unders. I mean, that could just be my own bias. I just, I just feel queasy every time I click an over, to be, to be honest. But that's just how it is today. I mean, there used to be, in the early days, you might bet one over a month, honestly. The whole month, have 200 props, click one over. So it took me a little bit of time to, to like get more comfortable with it. But it's important to evolve, um, which is why I just sort of now am more willing to, to do some other markets a little bit more and you know focus more operationally on growing than on necessarily trying to get a quarter of a percent better each year or half a percent better i mean there's just like this natural decay the lines no matter how much better i get the lines are getting sharper every year i wish i wasn't so pessimistic but over time i mean i would imagine just based on people's kind of love recently of props it's it's kind of there was an espn article about it recently people just kind of love props and that just means more eyes on that market and more efficiency on that market. And it's just really important as a sports better to just try to keep evolving. The, the early going, it, this is my, uh, I think I would stress out a lot if I was betting on props, just because there's no, I mean, I know that <clears throat> see it, closing line, it, it, there's a massive debate around it, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty, pretty bloody good marker that if you're betting on a major market, a uh, over under Asian handicap spread, whatever you want to call it. If you're uh, if you're beating that number consistently and you're still losing, it gives you that certain bit of confidence that variance will eventually swing around, and uh, you are doing the right things, and it'll eventually swing around, and 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 you'll start winning. But for props, there's not really any any market to go off when you when you were first. Maybe because it's sharper now, maybe you can look at the closing lines now and say. I mean, you probably disagree with me, but um, no, maybe what I about disagree. the early? Or well, you can talk about it now. I was going to say, what about the early days? Was it stressful at all? If you're going through a bit of a down stretch, you're thinking there's no there's no marker here that tells me if I I could be potentially the worst sports better in the world, but I've got no idea. <laughs> so so here's here's a crazy here's a crazy story. Uh, I don't know if I'm lucky or what it is. I don't really believe in luck, but since 2000, the two, so I've had two. Now, remember, I have access to basically all of the props. I'm not talking about like one skin type, one account type, but when you look at it kind of like a uh, mutual fund where you have access to lots and lots of different lines and lots and lots of different props, I personally only have two five week uh, break even stretches. So I never really thought I was like, 
on the wrong path. I would see sometimes the market, not often, but sometimes the market move against me. And I just thought, great, more liquidity, I'll bet more. So I never really experienced, now remember the market was really soft back then. And in 2017, why I lost basically was I refused to adjust to the Golden State Warriors making every single three-pointer known to man. And the NBA just sort of changed with a three-point line. And I, I was slow. It was my own fault. I deserved that. You know, you get the work you put in, you kind of get the results you deserve over the long run, of course. I don't mean over any one, one day. So I never really felt hesitant about how things were going. And I'm absolutely positive that would have happened in major markets where the edge is smaller. It's just the yeah. nature of math. 2% means you're going to swing massively. The larger the number is, the less variance you're going to experience. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's the inverse of it all. Although there's no closing line or whatever marker to go off, at least there's going to be less variance. So you'll probably find out pretty quickly if you're good or not, just based on your profit and loss. I mean, don't get me wrong. You have other downsides. It's, it's absolutely true that compared to major markets, places enjoy prop, <laughs> the other end enjoys prop bets a lot less than Sunday morning NFL bets or other major markets. It's just a different struggle. It's a different stress. So sure, maybe the variance is lower in terms of the betting, but the, you know, that struggle for the accounts is greater. So while you might be reducing stress one place, you're increasing stress another place. Yeah. So, so nowadays, mate, you're, you mentioned to me that you're, you're more of a businessman. I guess you, you spend most of your time uh, getting accounts and all that fun stuff, which I pretend I couldn't really think of a worse job in the world, mate, to be honest. Um, so I, I hear you. So, yeah, you've got a, you've, you've, you've grown into a group. Do you want to, do you want to, I guess, tell me how you've grown into, yeah, getting employees or I don't know what you refer to them as, but yeah, your, your evolution from just being a one man operation to, to bringing people in and, and how, yeah, maybe just tell us like how your, how your team operates and yeah, how that's evolved over time. Yeah, so I kind of, it ended up really because a lot of these accounts are on credit. So you can't just go on Google or LinkedIn and hire somebody. So my group basically just was people that were friends that were interested in either doing this, whether they knew sports or not. And that just kind of became my core, I don't know, traders. I don't, I wouldn't call, I don't like calling people employees. That's not nice. Uh, <laughs> you know, start group, friends. And then I sort of, because, you know, accounts have a lot of credit. It's, um, think about it like this. So let's say you had a million dollar credit line, right? And you paid 0% uh, interest on it. You should probably be turning a profit, right? So as time has evolved, I realized that a lot more of these accounts should be getting use. And besides the props that I do, I sort of outsource not outsource but you know i'll take plays from other guys and put them into the accounts i'd say that accounts for maybe 10 percent of the business 90 percent is still the is still the props but just to get some other stuff onto these accounts other markets other strategies um we'll, i'll have some of that you know and don't get me wrong um you know a lot of people just they want to be purists you know i originate and i you know this is the line but you know what if you see a broken line here there there's the money's still green you should, if this account's probably disappearing anyways, either you do it or someone else out there is going to do it, you know? So, 
and when they do it, that line's going to come off the board and be taken off. So it might as well be you at that point, you know, whether it's top down, originating, you know, steam chasing. I mean, you name it. I, I'm really not against any of the, I mean, maybe past posting really increases your odds of being stiff. So that's probably a poor strategy. But in general, I think people are too afraid to sort of do whatever it takes to win. You know, they're not realistic, you know, with their skills probably. And they really should be more open-minded to just figuring out how to win. It, do it doesn't really matter how. Either way, you're either collecting or paying at the end. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And so your your guys that you're bringing in, are they do they have any background at all in 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 betting at all or are they just you just yeah one guy came from dfs one yeah no i mean you know some of them understand sports i, I had a, i had some theory i tried on, trying with one who doesn't know anything about sports kind of tabula rosa kind of blank slate see how this uh, you can really mold someone it's interesting the dfs guy who got me into trade mates he couldn't name you an nba player other than lebron and steph curry starting out but he crushed dfs so that just kind of goes to show you like this mm. you know Probably the days of sitting back, you know, at the table discussing with your friends, I like the Saints, you know, today isn't a viable strategy. Maybe in 1970 it was when that's how the lines were being put together by the other side. But, you know, you're still got to beat some computers today. So it's not that simple. Yeah. And so teaching them, I guess, are you just giving them the model and saying just do whatever the model says or how does it, how do you go about you that? You know, you know, you know, what's interesting. It's funny. Even when I talk to them, sometimes they just tell me, oh, all I'm doing is inputting. And then, you know, you start writing out a workbook of uh, what process you're doing. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is an entire skill set necessary in this industry on like the larger level. So like each person having their role, I know people would laugh. you like, oh, that guy just does this or that guy just does that. It's unbelievable how important each of these components are and actually how difficult even something as simple as sounding like you're just inputting is it, it's unreal when i have when you have one teaching the other one how to do it all of a sudden they're like wow this is crazy there's so many intricacies you know can i plot here you know what's the order of inputting so the lines move slower you know there's like line manipulation what accounts are copying there's just so many components in like even the smallest what people would consider a joke of a job, which is just data entry. You know, it, it's just not like that. It's unbelievably valuable. All these small components that don't even exist in people's like frame of mind when they talk about what sports betting is. Yeah. How are you, I guess, paying these? Are you, are you giving them like a base salary? You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Um, or are you, I guess, rewarding them for, I guess, their own intuition in, in certain places where they might be going not away from the model but i guess using their own skill to to bet for the group right so it's a combination it depends how long you've been on board some have a percentage of the business some just get paid hourly it just depends how what you're contributing and i guess they just sort of trust me to pay them fairly probably yeah. overpay but whatever <laughs> um so for yourself mate then what a what is like a standard day in your life look like then if if you're just spending most of your time gathering accounts can you give us like a yeah a, a process of, of what that looks like for you yeah so it's well when you're you're still overwatching the business and the betting itself you can't just be disconnected from that it's amazing how every day there's some new fire to put out 
some account is moving the line, some account got shut down. So, and then there's like endless dealing with all the, you know, all the people that you partner with, you know, settling with them, figuring things out with them, what to do, you know, this person doesn't want to pay. It's just like, it just, it's, it's amazing how many fires there are to put out each day. I mean, some days I just think, oh, all right, today's going to be a slow day. And just magically I've been on, I get stuck on my phone for five, six hours talking to 15 different people about 15 different possible issues come, come up every day. So it's funny. I always try to take a step back away from like the betting process. And when that happens, it feels like something's going wrong that direction. So it's really just every day. I wish it could be more organized. You know, I worked in an organized like fortune 500 company before, and there was like a formula of how every day just kind of opened up and you did this and then you did this and then you did this and you actually would be able to get a whole lot of things done if you were organized in that manner. But honestly, it's, there's too many new little nicks to, you know, shut down every single day, you know, some day, not every day's the end of the world, but it's like you said, you know, this gathering accounts is not, it's not a fun, it's not yeah. a fun job. Has you it, know, has people it... glorify sports betting but i think if they really knew what it was yeah i don't know if it'd be so glorified i was gonna say has it taken away your love for it a bit (laughs) (laughs) so i'm i yes definitely (laughs) i'm no longer you love it more now that you're gathering accounts every day (laughs) no i mean you just start to love different elements of it i mean look think about the first few years betting unders every single day that's a pretty dark uh i'm rooting for this guy to fail and this guy to fail and this guy to yeah. twist his ankle you know because he's close so you start rooting for really weird things i, I remember one time i had a, a a qb rush yards under and the game was going in a way where they were it, it seemed to me that they were going to lead at the end and the qb was going to take a couple meals and get underneath the uh his total rush yards so, I mean, just think about the insanity of what you're watching, what you're actually rooting for while watching the game, for the QB to kneel twice at the end of the game. You know, you know you're like, I need them to be up by seven. So they kneel a couple times at the end. So when you yeah. start watching sports through that lens, the, the love kind of starts to, yeah. to, to disappear. <laughs> if me personally, I go to a game, which I, I don't do enough, probably like once a month, I'd like to have no bets on that game, nothing on that game. It's the only way for me to like, really yeah, enjoy the game which is funny because most sports betters they want action to view the game but i yeah. i feel the reverse yeah I, I i yeah i couldn't agree more uh watching my uh watching my favorite football team arsenal i hate it when i have a bet on the game because i just want to enjoy that one time a week where i can just barrack for my team even even the other day i had a prop on one of our um our players to to score i oh, know to have a shot on target and it was just the worst thing ever because I couldn't even enjoy the fact that they were just, you know, winning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear you. So back to back to getting or finding new accounts. What's it? What's it like? I guess trusting random people to, uh, <laughs> in that sense, because I, I, I would find that probably the most uh, stressful part of of what you do. Yeah. So that's a math equation too. <laughs> so let's work backwards. I'd say. Now these are guesstimates. I'd say if you're getting a stiff more than 10% of the time, you're taking too much risk. But if you're never getting stiff, you're probably not taking on enough risk and giving up too many spots. So I used to be extremely nitty when it came to account gathering. 
and some guy who's actually no longer in the business, but one day he was like, why, why do you keep passing up on accounts? Think about it like this. If a couple don't work out, as long as more work out overall, you're actually net going to be gaining. So I guess that strategy is not great <laughs> for a beginner, but today I'll take on a little bit more risk for some from some random Twitter guy or here's the thing, gambling community, gambling Twitter, usually you know someone who knows someone who knows someone. Otherwise, you just kind of know the person in real life and you just kind of assess their character. That's kind of the job you figure out. And again, you, you, you need to be providing values. So think about it like this. Are they really going to run off for a couple hundred bucks when if they stay with you long enough, they're going to make thousands, tens of thousands? So as long as you're providing value and you do some basic risk assessment, a lot of that's subjective. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not absolute. It's not, sorry opposite it's not absolute so you are trying to pick spots and over time just like maybe your model gets better you, you should be getting better at assessing individuals that you decide to work with and you know what sometimes I'll get a couple messages on I, I call it the story someone will tell you a story that doesn't make sense and I just sort of run the other way so it's a really a lot of times about piecing together a few key words and sentences that if you just sat down and thought about it, you say, wait a second, this, this makes no sense. I'll give you a good example. Uh, someone wants to settle every two weeks. Um, that would probably be a scenario where they're trying to balance out somewhere else where the money's coming from. Because if you settle out every two weeks, you're really settling out the third week and allowing lots of run-up on a small account, that's just not logical. So that would be like a, just a very obvious spot where I'll see people say, all right, we don't settle that often, it'll probably work out. But if you just kind of think about that story, it sounds like there's probably an issue there. And you know, sometimes there isn't, it just is what it is. But that's where it just comes into sort of guessing to the best of your ability, is this mm -hmm. a spot and a person that I wanna work with and not, and not just be, extremely fearful of taking on partnerships again we're talking about like a, a business level you, you as a beginner I, I wouldn't do this you, you can't take shots and then have five percent of your bankroll you know be you know lost stolen you know doesn't work out whatever so I mean for me personally unfortunately because of the market that I work in mostly I'm underbending my bankroll so it's like I'm not any one partnership is going to destroy me you know, I don't want my partners to hear that and everybody starts running, but in, in general, <laughs> not, not any one person is going to wreck my, not any like horrific yeah. month, not any like horrific season. It's I'm not, I'm not going homeless if, if those things happen. So it allows me a little bit more leeway to take shots. Now, now, again, if you're starting to get every other account, some kind of issue, you're, you're doing something wrong. You're just not good at judging people's character. And, and you know what? Sometimes it's just, out of people's hands something bad happens and that's it yeah no no i understand mate uh do you do you have any tests at all to to see what their trust level is or is just kind of like intuition over time you've kind of get, well, well a lot of it is is it is again kind of word of mouth because again like i said before people kind of come to me when the major markets are going wrong so you know, I'm also involved in seeing those markets and it's hitting some of my accounts. So it's like funny when they're crushing, I'm thinking, oh boy, it's not going to be a good month for me. Nobody needs my uh, niche market, you know, but in general, 
a lot of the people that reach out to me or find me or I find them, they've listened to your podcast or someone else's podcast or an article Mm -hmm. or know someone that I know. And it's like, what's that joke? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. If you ask enough, eventually somebody's going to know somebody that knows somebody. And a lot of it is like that. You know, the other options also in the real world, you just, you see a guy looking at his phone the entire time while at a bar. What what do you think he's doing? You know, while watching the game, you know, so you start a conversation, but you, you know, I guess the best tells are, are these people degenerates or not? Usually if you're a normal person in the game of life, you're probably operating everything else on a kind of normal landscape. And if you're, not and you know your degen and other aspects there's probably those characteristics cross over so i would say like sometimes you can it's more obvious than people think it's just i think a lot of times people might get desperate and then they have like this bad you know experience in the industry where they really you know they just they wanted the account so bad that they took on somewhere they knew they shouldn't they shouldn't do it but it was the easy thing right in front of them And I Mm -hmm. I think that's really important for people to think about Um, sports betting, the industry, it's hard and that's good because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and there'd be no value. So this thing where like people be like, that's part's really hard or this part's really hard. Those are the most important things. They have to be hard for there to actually be profit. Otherwise everyone would do it and there'd be no value. Yeah, no, well said, mate. Is there any kind of legal steps you can take for people to stiff you or is it kind of just like you just have to cop it? <clears throat> yeah. You know, the legal sites are not, and the offshores are, 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 are not going to yeah. mostly be doing shady things, except for limiting you, you know, all the time nonstop. But besides, <laughs> and that's a whole different issue with how the gaming commission is technically actually against the player in those scenarios instead of, protecting the player which is what they're supposed to be doing um let me make one comment about that that people aren't going to love i don't think those sports books are doing anything wrong those companies have a duty to their shareholders i don't believe that any company today could spend the way that you would need to to develop a market like pinnacle did 20 you know people always look at pinnacle sure that was developed I don't know, 15, 20 years ago in a non-competitive landscape, I don't really think these companies today could take on tons of action and balance. I mean, they offer massive boards, huge, huge boards and tons of options to attract people. So they're making a calculated decision that attracting people, offering these huge exploitable boards is worth the risk of limiting individuals. I, I don't know, in their eyes, I think they think there's an infinite pool of players and i mean i don't run DraftKings and caesar so somebody got there for some reason not not that I, again i i necessarily think it's like the greatest business strategy i wish they could actually no you know what if they took on a bunch of sharps the lines would become efficient over time what happens when you know these pinnacle bookmakers allow you to bet you are training them to become more sharp over time it's a training process maybe not over a week maybe not over a month maybe not over a season but over the life of 10 years, 20 years, the site becomes sharper and sharper. I would say the number one, if a beginner was looking out there on how to win, especially in the PPH landscape, go look at what's not offered on Bookmaker and Pinnacle. That means that it's, and you know, probably being offered on, I don't know, Bovada or Bet365, 
wherever these PPHs are copying their lines from, and you're going to see those markets are easier on the back end because Bovada is not taking sharp players for more than a week or whatever or a month. They're not being trained on making the lines efficient. So you're pulling copied lines from an inefficient market that has no, I would say, teacher over time, you know, teaching it how to become sharp. Yeah, no, that's that's really well said, mate. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, I, I guess a lot of these sports book are also using sharper, yeah, sharper bookmakers as kind of like a, a guide for them on a lot of markets. Like you would you would think that you know I mean, you see it all the time. If Pinnacle if Pinnacle moves in a lot of these markets, the other ones are just going to follow straight away. So, um, I, I like you. If you can find markets where, yeah, it's potentially being offered at, at, at a at a bookmaker and not at a sharper bookmaker then their, their lines are, are probably not going to be as sharp so that can be a good avenue for people yeah i think a lot of beginners they they don't ask the question what they really want in this industry you know they say they want to win or they say they want to make money but they don't do the actions that are required to do so, which really means they don't really know what they want. They just saying what they want, but they don't have like a strong connect to what it means, you know, whatever these wants are. And that's okay. You know, a lot of people just want to turn a small profit, run this as a hobby. And it's really important to kind of respect the different goals and, you know, desires of a lot of these, you know, casuals, aspiring people, but, but I think a lot, a lot of people just don't understand the components of this business. So they can't, even if they say what they want, they, they don't really know what they want or what it means to want these things. Yeah, I guess this is the reason why people end up turning to, to touts and tipsters and all this kind of stuff, because it's, uh, yeah. I mean, fair enough, because if you're, if you're not a, you know, if you're not wanting to become a professional or anything like that, which most people aren't, it, it takes a lot of, it, it does take a lot of effort to beat the market, especially when you're competing with guys like yourself, guys that do this as a full-time job, because that's who your real competitors are. Um, and yeah, if you're just looking to do this as a hobby, then I know it's very hard to find a good tout or tipster, but maybe that's I guess it's probably the best way to go about it. If you can find someone that's actually decent at what they do, then uh, then it's probably the best way to go about it. Because you know, spending five ten minutes of research yourself is is probably not going to beat the market over time. Whereas if you can refer to someone that uh, that actually you know spends a lot of time on it, but then you got the bigger problem that you know lines moving, they become too popular, they might not even be that good. It's a it's it's a it's a merry-go-round, isn't it, mate? <laughs> whole business is complicated every component of it yeah no it's uh oops, sorry my uh, my camera's just gone off but i um i am still here um I, I, the average lifetime of each account you, you mentioned before would you rather have you know one month for to make 8k or three months or whatever it was to to make to make 10k do you think it's harder for for these bookies to figure out whether you're sharp or not if you're just betting uh, props because i guess there's no like we mentioned before there's no real benchmark if i if i was a trader mate I, that's the first thing i would do if i'm trying to figure out whether you're sharp or not i'm probably just going to quickly see if you're getting clv if you are i'm probably going to limit you etc cetera, etc cetera. but on props a lot harder to tell 
Yeah, you, you, you kind of beat me to it. Uh, there's some legitimate, you know, people out there and they beat the college basketball, college football line by three, four points. It doesn't take too much from the other <laughs> end to, you know, come together and be like, yeah. wait a second, they're getting a field goal on this game. And then every single line or 95% of the lines not related to news uh, are moving with them. So that's the same argument I use. You know, most people tell me to be quiet, you're betting props. So I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> but I agree with what you said. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, mate, just looking at, yeah, a couple more questions before we head off. I'd, I'd like to hear just from from your perspective because you're, you're someone that's not, uh, I guess, doing things in a general sense in the industry. Like most people are betting on big markets and et cetera, et cetera, and, and perform their business in a completely different way to the way you do it. If you're, I guess, if you're, if you've got any advice for anyone starting out that, that's looking to to get involved, what would what would be, I guess, your advice for how they should get started and the first steps that they should take? Right. So I would say, first of all, you kind of have to answer two or three questions. One, you have to have um, awareness. What are your skills? Are you the gift of gab guy? Are you the modeler? Um, what, what are you actually good at? So if you're good at math, you probably should be doing math things and finding small markets that are easy to beat. Now, once you're that kind of person, the next question to ask is, is this my dream? Is this my goal? Am I actually going to quit my 401? For, usually a math guy probably has a 401k job, right? You know, unless he's like a college kid coming out. But if you're already established, you need to start thinking, do I have enough of the other skills to actually make this a large business that actually replaces my other job if this is something that I truly love? So you have to ask a lot of tough questions and give yourself a lot of honest answers. And only once you kind of do that, can you really start taking an approach on what to do next? You know, there are lots of guys that are really happy just being account finders, they hand the account and they do nothing but, you know, settle up. Other guys, they want to be more involved. But if you're just trying to make, I think the truth is most probably the viewers here, they're just trying to make a couple, you know, hobby dollars and turn a profit. And at the end of the day, if, if that's your goal, and there's nothing wrong with that goal, is find yourself a way to get some CLV and most likely attack really small markets. Uh, I said it on a different pod. It's really easy. Open up Pinnacle, wherever they let you bet 50 bucks, if it's underwater basket weaving, or upside down pineapple throwing. Those are probably the markets that you know you're not going to experience too much variance on because nobody knows anything about windsurf kite, you know, modeling. It's very few people do. And Penny and these other companies don't really care because they're not taking that much action on it. So if your really just goal is to make money, then you probably want to attack it from that avenue. Give like some deep love of like sports and you really only, you know, you're betting and watching, then yeah, you're going to even if you figure out how to turn a profit, you're going to experience a lot of variance. But at the end of the day, starting out, people kind of want like, what should I do? Or how do I go about it? But the first step is answering to yourself really what you're looking to get out of this. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more because if you want, I mean, making a, it's a huge step saying that going from basically, you know, your, your full-time job to saying that you wanted to become a professional or, or, or start sports betting in a way that's taking away, that's replacing a, a standard, you know, your, your day-to-day income or whatever. So it, it, 
people people probably think when they're starting or um or they want they're thinking of taking that next step that it's it's all about like you said it's not really all about the betting side it it it, it becomes so much less enjoyable because it becomes about a business and you know the worst parts finding new accounts um you know maybe trying to like build relationships with people in the industry it it, it takes it's just it becomes so far separated from just um what you're actually betting on so no i think that's that's terrific advice mate because if if people want to yeah. if people can figure out exactly what they want then they can have a clear mindset or a clear pathway to see exactly what am i going to have to do to achieve that yeah and and you know what it that same question affects people like me in the industry too you know i always think about what about building a site or you know tools or all these other components and that would be if i build this it will take away from my edge and what i'm doing so i would be it's literally like build this sacrifice this so at every stage in this business those questions need to be asked and reassessed it's not just at the beginning it's all the time yeah well said mate um mate thank you so much for coming on the podcast i think it's been it's been really interesting yeah, hearing hearing from a completely different kind of sports better to the general kind of person that we end up talking to and just hearing your different thoughts on, yeah, getting accounts. Um, yeah, and just and just prop betting in general, the pros and cons of that. It's been it's been really interesting, mate. Uh, where can where can people find you on on Twitter? And uh, I guess if there's anything interesting you've got coming up that you wanted to to plug or anything exciting like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the next component, I got to get better at the social media game, I think, start a site or something. No, but you can find me on Twitter at MLBKSpsychic. And yeah, just follow along. I'm always looking to interact with people, you know, building out network, discussing what I do. You know, it's it's basically a, some people have a nine to five job. This is 24 seven job. This is kind of all I think about, all I talk about, you know, and that's it. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate your time. No, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry that the dog's starting to buck. So I'm sorry for everyone if you've heard that throughout the throughout the podcast. I think he uh, I think he needs to go to the toilet. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, uh, and thanks once again for coming on board. Up, uh, make sure if this is your first time on the po- podcast, please do a quick rate and review of the podcast. And if you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, all the good stuff. And uh, yeah, we should be back with some episodes uh, in a couple of weeks. So yeah, thanks everyone, and thanks Porter once again, and hopefully have you on sometime in the future. Definitely. Bye.